didn't want worship to end. Didn't want the songs to end. Just rich uh, time with you, God's people, and, and just his spirit being present. And as we approach his word, I would, I would invite you to pray with me uh, one more time. May we, this passage is, uh, is overwhelming to me in many ways. And um, so the big point of it is that you should not be impressed with me, but rather the cross of Jesus Christ this morning. So would you, uh, would you pray with, for me? Would you pray for us as we approach this passage? God, forgive us when we take for granted this, your word, that you have spoken to us. That you have not left us without revelation about who you are. Instead, you, you out of your kindness, revealed yourself. And so as we approach this this morning, may you use me as your vessel, but may your word, may your cross, may your gospel be what is most noteworthy this morning. May it grip us and change us. In Jesus' name, we ask and hope and pray. Amen. Well, there's a, <clears throat> there's a story of a famous preacher many, many years ago. He um, was approached by one of his congregants, and she asked, uh, Pastor, when are you going to start preaching something other than the gospel? Week after week, you, you, talk, you tell us the same thing. When are you going to move on to other things? And his reply was, when you begin to look like a people who believe the gospel. And perhaps you can relate to that, that sentiment of kind of hoping that you get this or that out of, out of church or, you know, coming in with that and maybe having expectations let down. But this passage this morning is going to be a stark reminder that that, that is, is what we need week in, week out, day in, day out, moment in and moment out is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is writing to a people in the city of Corinth and a people that, that have a, a litany of issues in their church. Um, and, and we're going to preach through this whole book, and we're going to cover all sorts of stuff. And, and he started uh, this, this book by, by thanking God for them and what, what God has already done in them, calling them saints, knowing some of the major issues that he's going to have to talk about, right, which we mentioned, people getting drunk at communion, people sleeping with their in-laws, all sorts of crazy things that he's going to have to address. But he started being grateful for what God has done in these people, and then he called them to unity, and really the next bulk of, of the, the, you know, the next two, first four chapters or so is really all going to be addressing uh, that the church should be unified on the big issues. And he's got several, you know, sub points within that. And so, and, and this is one of them. And so we ended last week's um, passage where we did 10 through 17. We ended that with, with, with a, a, pass, a verse that we didn't talk a lot about, but, but Paul has said this, that, that people shouldn't be following this preacher, that pastor, this, this guy, this leader, 
and, and had these factions. The church was on the verge of splitting. And, and one, you know, this crowd was following this guy, and this crowd was following this guy. And, 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 and it, was a, it was a mess. And he, and he pleads with them for unity. And he says this. He says, I'm really grateful that I didn't baptize a bunch of you because I don't want a bunch of you thinking that you're, that you're my special people. Instead, you need to be knowing that you're, you're, you're Jesus' people. And it really doesn't matter who baptized you. It doesn't matter who your preacher or your pastor is. And, and Paul ends by saying, man, I'm really glad that I didn't do that because God called me not to baptize primarily but to preach the gospel. It's not that baptism is important, but it is uh, subjective to and subsequent to the preaching of the gospel. And, and he goes on to say, and, and I preach that gospel not with eloquent speech, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. That's how he ended the passage that we looked at. And then he's going to, and then this week is really him expounding on that idea. And so what he's saying is it, it shouldn't be about who's the best preacher, who's the best uh, speaker and whatever. It, it, if, if that is what you are leaving a church service impressed with, the, the, the cleverness of the, the guy on stage, then Paul is saying you have missed the point. And, and that, that, that person, if, if, that's what, if that's what a preacher is about, is getting you to be impressed with them, uh, and then they have emptied the power, or they've emptied the cross of the power, because the power of the cross doesn't rest in how good or bad the preacher is. It rests in the good news of what Jesus has done. So, Paul is going to address what is a common issue that I think was at the heart of that lady's question to that famous pastor. He's going to remind us that, that the, the gospel is not a starting place. The, 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 the news of the cross is not somewhere where we start to get our salvation and then we move on to other things to, you know, mature our faith. It is at the heart of all that we are as Christians. From the moment we meet Jesus until the moment that we see Jesus face to face, the gospel is what we come back to day in and day out. So let's, let's look at this together. Verse 18, he says this, after that passage, after that verse we just read, he says, For the word of the cross is folly, or other translations will say foolishness, to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So here's what he's saying. The word of the cross is, is not something that, 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 that you can just take and apply into the other social constructs and, and, and people, you know, um, there's all sorts of books written about how to have your, you know, your, your life be improved, and we call them self-help, and there's huge sections at bookstores, assuming that bookstores still exist, but there's huge sections on Amazon where, where you can buy all sorts of self-help books. And what Paul is saying is that the gospel, the, good, the, the word of the cross, right? He said, well, he's, how is he going to refer to the gospel? We'll unpack that a little bit more later. But the word of the cross doesn't fit in with all those self-help books. It's not just one option that you can pick and, and, and plug it in, and you know, some people are trying this way of life, and some people are trying this way of life, and hey, maybe the cross is, is a way of life that'll be helpful for you. He says, no, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't fit in there, because when it is preached, it is foolishness to those who are perishing. So what he's saying is, if, if people have not been, if their hearts haven't been awakened to uh, by, the, by God the Spirit, if he hasn't gifted them and, and, and called them to, to see and, and given us the ability to see through faith, what like the big idea of the cross? It's either that if, if that hasn't happened, they're going to see it as foolishness. 
It, it, is, it is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. So to those who don't know Jesus, the preaching of the cross is going to be silly, honestly. Paul's going to say later, like, hey, if, if this all isn't true, then like if Jesus didn't really die on the cross and he didn't really, uh, you know, be, he wasn't really buried in a grave and he didn't really come back to life in three days, if that's not true, then we should all go home. This is a silly use of our Sunday morning. He's saying, this is not just something that you can try to apply to everyday things of life and see how it goes. It is either foolishness or it is the power of God to salvation. And, that, and that's going to be the, the heart of, of what he's going to be reminding these people to, to come back to is that this is not something they just start with. See, these are people that, that had, had embraced the gospel. They had allowed it to change their life. They're gathering in a church. But as we talked about last week, they, they've, they've come into the church and they've allowed the gospel to, to change this part of, of their life, you know, as far as their salvation, their justification, how they're going to get to heaven, how they're going to handle their sin problem, all of that. But as far as how they approach life and what they want out of life and how they're trying to find their value and their sense of purpose, they're still doing the things that the culture is doing. They're still uh, trying to attach themselves to a, pot, a popular preacher, teacher, fill in the blank of this day. And so this this culture in Corinth. This is a, a, a Roman, you know, ruled city, but it is a, a city that is, is really uh, growing in influence, growing quickly, and, and it is influenced heavily by the, the Greek thinkers of the day, often called the sophists, where they're, where they're it really less actually about thinking and more just about communicating, right? What these people valued was somebody who could really talk good, right? That's how we might say it here. So like somebody could really give a good you know, talk. And it really didn't matter a whole lot if it was true or not, right? In fact, they were kind of defined by, like, we'll take a fact of some statement and use it to argue their position, whether their position was true or not. They just really valued somebody who could, who could give a good argument. And that was sort of the, the, the influencers of the day. And that's what these people, that's why, that, that was the, what shaped their culture. That's why when they come into the church, yes, Jesus is our Savior. We know that. But as far as Who's going to give us joy? Who's going to give us identity? They started to latch on to some to Paul, some to Apollo, some to Cephas, right? And, and that's what Paul is, uh, is very assertively, very aggressively coming against, is that is not the point. So we don't start with the, with the gospel and then move on to other things. Paul is saying that it is either foolishness to those who don't get it, or it is the power of God to those of us who are being saved. And that language right there, we talk about this a lot at the journey, but, but that is... is is, uh, is very intentional use of, of, of that word there, being saved by Paul. Because it's not those of you who have been saved. It is those of you, or it really would be translated, those who are on the way, on their way to salvation. So there's this sense of that, that yes, we have been saved, the way we like to put it, and I think it's helpful, is we have been saved from the penalty of sin, but we are currently being saved, present tense, from the power of of sin, and then one day in glory, in glory, like glorification, we will be saved from the presence of sin. So we call that justification when we're saved from the penalty of sin. No longer are we going to be held accountable for our sins because Jesus took those on the cross. We trusted Him, and He has made us new and forgiven us forever. So it's justification. We're saved from the penalty of sin, and then on the other side of that, there will be a day whenever we will be glorified in Christ. We we will leave this. This world that is tainted by sin in every way, and we will be in the presence of Christ. And in that moment, we will be fully glorified. That's glorification. These are theological terms, right? And, 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 and that will be saved 
completely and totally from the presence of sin. But in the, in the moment in between, where you and I are, if you're a Christian, where you and I are in this moment is called sanctification. And so there's this, we have been saved from the penalty. We are currently being saved from the power of sin. So here's the big idea. The, the cross is the power to those of us that are being saved. So if you're here and you're wanting to increase in you know, your godliness, in your holiness, and just live a better life, you're wanting to experience freedom from the power of sin, the way to do that is to go back to the cross over and over and over and over again, Pastor Tim Keller says it like this, that the, that the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's not just something we start with, right? It's not just our starting point for our faith, but rather it is the A to Z of Christianity. It is, is all of it, that, that all of it is, is the gospel always and forever in every part of our life. The answer is the gospel, It's not just our means to, to justification, but it's also our means to transformation. It's not just for the deliverance of sins, or, or d- that we are delivered from sin's penalty, but we are, uh, through the gospel, delivered, or we are released from sin's power. It's what makes us right with God, and it's what frees us to delight in God. So we, Paul is, is reminding these people that, that hey, you don't start with the gospel and then move on to, you know, good teachers. And, pre- and You kind of make your social status and, and leverage the gospel. No, no. It, it's all about the gospel. It's for those who are being saved, not just, you know, that's not just how you got saved. It's for those of us, that all of us, as we're being saved. For it is written, verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. There Paul is quoting um, some prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, he, he's, he's saying, this has been a part of God's plan from the beginning, right? And, and here's, here, here's where you, you got to know a little bit of the cultural rub for, for Paul in this moment. Uh, when he says it, it's foolishness to those, when the, preaching the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, later in, um, in, in chapter 2, he's going to say that when he came to talk to them, he came not in, in this powerful stance of let me tell you all how you're wrong and I'm right, but instead he came with much fear and trembling delivering this message. Well, here's why. The, the cross in this day, we're, we're kind of used to the cross, right? Like we're, Some of you are, are wearing a cross either on a you know, piece of jewelry or uh, tattooed on your skin like you know, we used to sing it in different parts of the room and churches and, and we're used to celebrating the cross but in this day in this moment this was an active tool or instrument for execution a gruesome terrible execution and if you've studied that or, or, or you know seen things depicting that you know that it is not this is not a um, a wonderful thing that is to be celebrated in and of itself and in this day and age the cross was so despicable, it was so awful that it was not acceptable to talk about it in like polite settings. Like so socially, you didn't just go around talking about the cross. You're not supposed to mention it in, you know, a formal setting or even just a you know mixed company setting. If you had to refer to it, you would kind of use euphemisms and, and kind of get around it, but to just blatantly talk about the like that was something that was for the criminals and the lowest of low, even like so much so that, that a Roman citizen citizen couldn't even be crucified on the cross. Like it was below them. That it was something that was really for the 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 scum of the earth it, criminals that that's who belonged on the cross. And so to, to speak of that in this day is, is, is foolishness because 
People would scoff at that. That's why Paul says, so you, I want you to imagine this. This is a city where people come all the time, and they're always delivering. Like, like People take turns, right? So some people are teaching in the, in the, uh, the Jewish synagogue, but also just in the town square. Like it's sort of the, I, I've kind of pointed it to like our day and age, if you're familiar with TED Talks, where people are sort of taking turns, sharing different nuggets and wisdom from life. And, and it's sort of the you know, ancient version of that in, here in Corinth, where it was often, you know, people would gather in city squares and in these areas of, you know, um, entertainment, and guys would just take turns sort of, you know, giving their spiel. So I want you to imagine that that's what they're used to, and Paul gets up to deliver the gospel, and he knows that in this moment, he's going to be talking about something that is absolutely offensive to almost everybody there, that nobody brings across into everyday conversation, but, but he knows that it is at the very heart of the message that he's been called to deliver. It's not just something that's secondary. It has to be primary, and so he gets up to deliver it. And, and it is in this moment that, that he, he, he's going to say, like, this is not just accidental. This is not something that, that happened to the, the Messiah that came that we got to deal with. This has been the, the plan of God from the beginning, and he's going to do that by just reminding the people of how God has worked all throughout the Old, Te- Old Testament and how that hasn't changed in this day and age. It's not like God worked in this way before, and now, now that you know everybody really values good, you know, good speakers, that God's going to work that way. No, no, he's saying it's always been this, and so he's going to remind them of that. Verse 20, he says, hey, where is the one who is wise? He's kind of calling to look around. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Where is the the person that the culture is celebrating as a good speaker? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? He's saying, has has not God flipped all this on its head? The way in which the world thinks that life will be found? Hasn't God flipped all of that over? Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Okay, so what he's saying here is, hey, since God knew what was best for everybody, he did not make it as such. You come to know him and life in him by becoming wise and knowledgeable. That's not how you get to God. It's learning some stuff and, and, and being better and, and, you know, applying yourself, and then you get to, uh, you know, be on the team or, you know, be accepted by God. That's not how God set it up that we would know him. And since that is true, since that's not how he set it up, he says at the uh, the end of verse 21, then it pleased God through the folly, through the foolishness of what we preach. Paul's saying when we preach the gospel, it pleased God to to work through that, through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. So he's saying, hey, since it's not about wisdom anyway, it's pleased God to work in the preaching of this thing that most would consider foolish to actually save those, but he's going to go on and explain why. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. So what he's saying here is the, the Jewish people had been longing and waiting. If, you, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, like Jesus shows up to a people who have for generations now, for thousands of years, been awaiting the promised Messiah. Right? It's what the prophets have have written about. It's what the you know, kings and priests and all of them have been pointing to it. They had been waiting for the day when the promised one, the Messiah, the root of Jesse, like the, the descendant of David that would come and be the savior of the Jewish people. They'd been longing for it. 
So when Jesus shows up and starts doing the things that he, he does in the Gospels, we see that some people are like, hey, I think this is the Messiah. But then other people are going, I don't think so because I don't think the Messiah is going to come born in a manger in this obscure town called Bethlehem and his parents are from Nazareth. Like, that's not what we pictured. We pictured this, this guy who would be born in, in, into royalty and would take on the throne and would start overthrowing the enemies of Israel. Instead, this is a peasant man from Nazareth who's a carpenter. He's not taken on or overthrowing any of our enemies. Instead, he himself got killed by our enemy. He didn't overthrow Rome. He ended up dying on a cross at the hands of Rome. So the Jews are going, I, I, don't, I don't think this is our guy. So he says it's a stumbling block. And so when Jesus was there earlier um, you know, in the Gospels and he's performing all these miracles, the Jewish people were always going, well, give us, give us a sign. Give us a sign so that we know you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, I've given you lots of signs. You are just hard-hearted and you're not going to believe. That's not the point. You don't need signs. But that's what the Jewish people were longing for. Give us a sign so that we know it's you. But the Greeks, he says, they want wisdom, right? They want somebody who's, who's eloquent, who can, who can really give this unpacking of a worldview that they can all get behind. They want, they want somebody who has wisdom. They want somebody who is esteemed by the world. And, and that's, that's what they valued. And so Paul says that the cross is an absolutely offense to both of those, right? Because the Jews... They're stumbling over it. It's a stumbling block to them because they want a sign. They want uh, something more. They want a king on a throne, on a, on a physical material throne. They want somebody who is, who is overthrowing the Roman rule in their day. And when they don't get that, they're not sure they can get behind this Messiah. So they don't think Jesus was really the Messiah. But the Jews, they're not impressed, or the, the Gentiles, the Greeks, they're not impressed because this whole deal that we started with, like the preaching of the cross is not this self-help guide to a better life. They're not impressed with this wisdom. In fact, it, it just becomes, this. Paul is this, this rambler of, of crazy stuff. He's talking about a guy who died on a cross. Why do we need to know that, Paul? Right? Why do we need to know about some criminal that the Romans crucified in this unspeakable way? They're offended by that. So on both sides, Jews and Greeks, there's people who are offended by the cross, but Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified and to those who, are, those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, no matter what they were longing for, those who are called, those who God speaks to and awakens their heart, those who God gives the faith to see, to those people, both Jews and Greek, Jews and Greek Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Paul is going to say in Romans, sort of a similar sentiment is what he started here in verse 18, that the, I'm not ashamed of the... Of the the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the cross because it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul gets mocked. Paul gets ridiculed. Paul gets arrested all the time for preaching the cross. But he's not ashamed because in it there is true power. There's true power. The Jews want to see this powerful miracle making, and they, they did, but they weren't really you know, they didn't get behind it. And the, the Gentiles want to see, you know, somebody who can really draw a crowd and, and, you know, be a great orator and a great leader. And he says, those things are all futile. They, like, they, they don't lead you to life. But Christ on the cross, that is where we find the true wisdom of God. That is where we find the true power of God. He goes on, verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. He, yes, people are going to call the gospel foolishness. Yes, people are going to call the idea of this Jewish carpenter hanging on a cross as the way to life. They're going to call that foolishness. But the foolishness of God 
is wiser than the wisdom of men. So we shouldn't be looking for a faith and a gospel that, that impresses all of the world with its eloquence and wisdom. Instead, we should be looking for a gospel that contains in it the power to save, the power to bring dead people back to life. That is where it's truly found. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. So he's saying, yes, people are going to mock this. People are not going to be impressed by this unless they're being saved, and then you're going to see them transformed. But if not, they're going to mock it. They're not going to see it. They're going to see, they're going to see those who, who uh, preach it as weak. Paul was called weak by these people. And we're going to see later that was an intentional move on his part. But we'll see in the, in the we can look back or look ahead to 2 Corinthians 10.10 10, where, where Paul is going to say that, that people are, are accusing him. They're like, oh yeah, that Paul guy, he writes really boldly in his letters, but when he's here talking, he's a weak guy that nobody's impressed with. Right? Paul is called weak by these people. They're not impressed with his ability to talk. They're not impressed with his oratory skills and, and they're called They're calling him weak, and Paul says, yeah, that's all fine because the power doesn't rest in my ability to deliver a sermon or a message. The power rests in what I'm saying, and that is that Jesus Christ was crucified for sinners and was raised back to life and given the victory of God over death in the grave, and that is where the power rests. The power is not in how good or bad I can speak. So the weakness of God, people call it weak, but it's stronger than men. It's actually conquering men's Hearts. Verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers, that not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring, human, or to, bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Here's what he's saying is that this is this has been God's plan all along. If you read the here here's maybe a, a point point for us to, to work off of and that the gospel, the cross, the message of the cross is not a means to an end. Right? That it's it's the central point of all of the scriptures. And so when he says the word of the cross, he, he doesn't just preach the cross. Obviously, the cross only has power when it's coupled with the resurrection, right? There were lots of people who were crucified. That's not the point, right? And so Paul absolutely has preached the resurrection to these people, and he's going to address that later in the letter. But what he's saying is the word of the cross in this moment, what he's talking about is that this is pivotal. This is what God has been doing all throughout Scripture. If you trace the, the, the storyline of, of, of salvation and what God has done in the Scriptures from Genesis 1 and 2, we see that it all went wrong when the people started reaching for a power that they did not need to possess, right? They wanted to put themselves in the place of God. They wanted to have what only God had, even though God had told them it was best that they had all that he had given them, they said, no, no, I want what you have too. And that's what happened in the fall when they reached for that fruit. That's the whole point there. It shifts the trajectory of the world into brokenness and sin, pain, death, sorrow, and sickness. All of those things come whenever mankind gets out of step with what God made us to be. And, and all throughout the history of the people of Israel and God redeeming and restoring his people, we see him doing things that is always pointing his people. It's, it's, it's hey, it's not about you being able to achieve you don't find life whenever you rise to this place of influence, when you rise to this place of, of you know, accomplishment. We see that in the Tower of Babel when the people are trying to build for themselves this place of 
right, of, of power and prestige where they could be proud of what they've done and they could look down on everybody else and they could be separated. What he's saying, he, he tore that down. And then all throughout the history of the people, he does weird things. If you read some of these stories, the way that God uh, wins the battles for his people, they're weird things, right? No, some of you have been in the army, no good general is going to draw up a battle plan like Gideon did, right? No good general is going to draw up a battle plan like Joshua did when they approached the, the, you know, the city of Jericho. Nobody's going to say, hey, how, how should we take this city? Hey, why don't we have our uh, band load up their trumpets and we'll walk around. We'll do a parade. That's how we'll take down Jericho. We'll parade. We'll walk around the city and then we'll all blow and scream and then the walls will come down. Like God does weird things like that, dwindling down Gideon's army and over and over and over again. Why? So that we would not be fooled into thinking that the way to achieve salvation, the way to find hope is through our own power and influence, through our own achievements. Over and over again, he's reminding his people to trust in him. And Jesus comes. Jesus comes and he makes all of the religious people mad. Why? Because he's not hanging out with the people who think that they deserve to be hung out with. Jesus comes, and he's not hanging out with the people who think that they're entitled to God's presence. Jesus comes, he's not going to the people who think that they've earned it by keeping these rules and that God owes them something. Instead, Jesus starts hanging out with these people who are kind of the least of these, right? They're on the margins. They're sinners. And... and, and people just call them that. Right? Man, those people are, are filthy. They're sinners. We, it's the people that everybody else kind of avoids, you know? Jesus goes to them. Because that's the message of the cross. That's, that's the whole point of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, this beautiful you know, Sermon on the Mount that we're all familiar with. He, he's flipping the values. What men think we need to have in order to be esteemed and to find life. God's saying, no, no, no. It's quite the opposite. It's not those who, uh, you know, feel like they deserve to be in the presence of God that bring honor to him. God's not coming to call the varsity team, those who are really good. And listen, our area needs to know this. Southern Illinois needs to know this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that these churches that are here, they're not just for those who have got their lives together. Right? That, 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 that's not the point. That's not why we've gathered on a Sunday morning. And so our area that is broken with addiction, right? our area that is absolutely ravaged with an opioid crisis and a meth crisis that is leading to more and more homelessness, that's leading to more and more broken homes, leading to more and more kids in foster care, those families, those people need to know that this is not a place that you get to come after you've achieved some level of righteousness. That's not the gospel. In fact, it's the anti-gospel. It's the absolute antithesis of what God has been doing all throughout history. And Paul is saying, hey, look around. Are you guys the varsity? He's reminding them, hey, are you of noble birth? Are you here? Are you, did God call you off the varsity team just because you were really good at, at, at speech? Were you here just because you're rich and God really wanted you on his team? And, and, and that's why he picked you. He says, look around. He says, not many of you are noble, from noble birth. Not many of you have those accolades before you. And that's the point. That's where God is most glorified is when we realize that at the cross of Jesus Christ, we are all absolutely humiliated before a righteous and holy God. And that is where the power of salvation lies. That's where lives are transformed. And that's where the glory of God is most on display. 
Listen, our area needs that. My heart was overwhelmed earlier when we were singing. I don't know the lyrics. That song's kind of new to me. But something about may our praise turn into revival. May our worship, may, as we gaze at this, at this God, may we become like him. As we worship Jesus, may we not just do that emptily, like in a way that we're just saying words, but may we be transformed into his image. May we become like Jesus, a savior who went to the least of these, who went to the broken, who, those who didn't think that they deserved to be in his presence, but quite the opposite, who were acutely aware that they did not deserve because they're a sinful, broken people. It is there that we're able to receive the grace of God. It is there that we're able to receive Salvation and transformation. Paul's reminding them, hey, that's what God's been doing from the very beginning. Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He says, don't forget, guys, what God's been doing. That's the whole point. He, he, he's doing all of this so that nobody can get there and say, hey, look at what I achieved. But more than that, for the fullness of our salvation that God has come to give us, verse 30, and because of him, the reason we don't boast, the reason the cross is what we come back to is because we have to be reminded that it is him from beginning, middle, and end. Our salvation, our hope is about what he has done. Verse 30, and because of him, because of what God has done, because of what he has done, not because of what you have done, because of what he has done, you are in Christ Jesus. That's how you got saved. You realize that? It's God's work that you got saved. It is he that accomplished the work on the cross and the resurrection that made a way. It is he that gave you the faith and opened your eyes so that you may see your need and gave you the faith to respond and say, yes, I'm going to make Jesus my Lord. It is his work from beginning to end that allows us to be in Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus, we find the fullness of our salvation. It's not a means to an end so that we can get to better things. Jesus just got us cleaned up so now we can go explore the, the, the deeper things of life. No, the deeper things of life are all wrapped up in Jesus. And he says that Jesus became our wisdom from God. That all that we long to know, all of the not like, it's found in Jesus. And if we are learning, if we are uh, you know, finding out new information, if it's not rolling back up to Jesus and causing us to worship him, then we've got it all wrong and we're looking for life in something that cannot give it to us. And if we're looking for, you know, to feel like we've earned something, if we're looking to feel like we are good enough, it is in Jesus that we find our righteousness. It is in Jesus that we get clean of the guilt that, that affects our life so deeply. It is in Jesus that we find our righteousness and our sanctification to be set apart, right? If we want to be noteworthy, we want to have a, a, something that, that identifies us from the rest of the world, we don't do that by earning accolades of people. We don't do that by becoming impressive in this field or that field. We do that by knowing that we are a part of the people of God only because of the work of God in Jesus Christ on the cross. That we find our identity, our, that we're set apart through Jesus and the cross and our redemption. Our redemption. Being set free from the slavery of sin. So many of you are familiar with, with the, the idea of being set free from the penalty of sin, Right? And that's, that's praiseworthy, that's noteworthy, right? That, that Jesus came, that you may not 
be, the world should not perish, but have everlasting life, right? So that if you pray this prayer and follow him, that your sins will be forgiven and you can go to heaven when you die. And, and you rejoice in that reality, but you don't know how to let it change your reality in the day-to-day. You don't know how to let it be applied to the power of sin over your life now. So many of you are still struggling with the power of sin in your life. And you think that God is just upset with you and waiting for you to figure it out. In reality, he's just inviting you to keep coming to the cross, He's inviting you to keep coming to the cross so that you can be transformed from one degree of glory to the other. It is the power of God and the salvation for those who are being saved. That's where we find the release from our addictions. That's where sin, its power is, is loosened on our hearts. I know for me, there was some darkness that was wrapped real deep inside of me that I was never able to talk about in church because I didn't know there was a safe place to do that. But whenever it started to have light shine on it, I felt like it was like vines wrapped around my heart in darkness and the gospel, right? It wasn't self-help. It wasn't get better. It was the gospel of Jesus that just began to loose, loosen those things. And over time, Jesus has set me freer and freer and freer. That's what he wants for us. And it's all found in the word of the cross. So, the end of verse 30. So, Verse 31, actually, that is written, let the one who boasts, do you want to boast in something? Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And he ends, he says, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided. It's not that Paul's not a good preacher. He decided. He, he made a conscious choice not to be that guy in the presence of the Corinthians. Why? Because he doesn't want their faith to be placed in men. That's what he's going to say. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Remember the thing that he knew everybody was going to either laugh or scoff at? He decided, that's all I got, and that's all I'm going to give these people. Because if I give them anything else, they're going to be attached to me as a speaker and not to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm just going to preach the cross. Just going to preach the cross. Preach the cross. There's a story about the, the famous great preacher Billy Graham. And he had had a lot of influence and had gained a lot of recognition and, and um, you know, impacted a lot of people here in the States. And he got called to go over to England to one of the prestigious universities and do some crusades there to do some things there. And he felt this pressure to be, uh, you know, to, to be smart. So he's he like, literally like studying, you know, some big words, make sure he's teaching on these, these topics. And he goes through, I, I think it's like four nights or, or something. I could be getting the details wrong, but, uh, but, but he's, pre- he's preaching. He's trying to impress these people. With his knowledge, he's trying to say, you know, hey, let me, let me address this Ivy League crowd with Ivy League type of speech. And he says, and it was just night after night, people were unimpressed. No one was responding to Jesus. And it just, it was kind of fallen dead. And then he said, I believe it's on the last night, he says, I, I was just beginning to be resolved to preach the blood of Christ. And he just went through the Old Testament and, 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 and just spoke about every mention of blood. And he talked about how Jesus' blood was spilled because of our sin. We needed forgiveness, and it only comes through the shedding of blood, and Jesus was that. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that night when he just simply preached the cross of Christ, we simply preached the blood, hundreds came to receive that salvation. So Paul says, I know this culture here is going to be tempted to attach to a good speaker, a good preacher, so I'm going to only preach the gospel over and over and over again. And he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and, so, and my speech 
and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. What he's saying is if somebody's getting saved, if somebody's life's changing today, it's not because I was a good preacher. It's because the gospel is true and it has transformed a life. I hope the same is true here. Like he says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Here's the deal. When you're coming to church, you should, you should believe you should be in awe of Jesus and not the preacher. Right? You should be in awe of Jesus and the person and work of Jesus and not the preacher. Now, listen, this happens sometimes, and it could be the preacher's fault for, for seeking that. Like, it, it's tempting for us. It's tempting. Like, I want you people to be impressed with me, right? I don't want to get off here and you guys all mock me. I don't want to step down and be like, I don't, you know, for you guys to be laughing and pointing. Like, I, I don't desire that, right? It's not natural. Naturally, want you guys to, to like what I say. But listen, if, if, I, if, if you leave here and, and you're impressed with any of us that get up and preach, whether it's me or one of you know, the other guys that we have up here, if, if you're impressed with the preacher and not with Jesus, then one of us has done it wrong. It could be us, right? That could be our aim. We, should be, we could be more about boasting, you know, impressing you than pointing you to Jesus, but it also could be you. It could be you looking for the wrong thing. It could be you, you looking to be entertained or, or coming from a position of consumerism, right? And not looking Right, And so you're like, oh, that guy wasn't very entertaining. That guy, you know, he wasn't very good. He needs to get better or whatever. Did he preach Jesus? Did he? Because if he did, we should leave here rejoicing. We should leave here in awe of him, right? And Paul says he intentionally was not good at preaching so that these people would absolutely see only the power that is in the cross. If here's a, here's a, if you're not you know if this is not your, your church home you're not settled here you're looking at other places I, I would just plead with you and, and even if you are one of our people like you should use this filter on us like if you're going to a church the the, the point of their of of this gathering should be the gospel of Jesus Christ it should be the word of the cross and if it's not then it's not the gospel and it's empty and it won't provide you with any power for salvation or transformation any of that here's a Here's just something I think for you to take and apply. If what I am ever saying, if what a church is ever saying, if it could be true without the cross, then it's not the gospel. It might be really good advice on marriage. It might be really good advice on money. It might be really good advice on workplace relationships. And there's nothing wrong with those things. God's word does have wisdom to share with us about that. We're gonna look at that next week. But... If the point of the sermon, if it could all be true without Jesus ever going to the cross, then you need to leave. You need to leave that place. You need to leave this place because that is the only place where true power is found. So yes, we talk about the implications of our marriage. Yes, we talk about implications on how we handle our money. But it's always rooted in and coming back to the gospel. I hope that you never come here and, and, and set through a service where you don't hear at least one articulation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the place where you find life is not in your own achievement, it's not in your own success, it's not in you doing good and following rules, but it's coming and realizing that you don't deserve it, but Jesus has given it. It's coming and realizing that we're all on the same level at the foot of the cross, and it's there that the God of the universe decided to make a way and to give us salvation. And because of that salvation, we have implications on every area of life, and we will talk about those, and we will preach those, and it will be good and edifying. But if it can be true without the cross... You need to be alarmed.
want to end with a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says this, If it is I who say where God will be, then I'll always find a God who corresponds to me, is agreeable to me. What he's saying is if, it, if, I, if we come and, and start saying where we're going to find God, we're going to find God in this type of movement, this type of church, this type of song, this type of fill in the blank. If we do that, if we're coming, then we're, we're going to be functionally creating a God in our own image, right? We're going we're to be saying, okay, like we're creating a God who's agreeable to me, corresponds with, with what I am. But, but if, it's, if he says this, if it is God who says where he will be. If it is God who makes that arrangement and he is the one who decides where we will encounter him, if that is true, then the place is the cross of Christ. If it is God who makes that arrangement of where we will encounter him, it is indeed the cross of Christ. Let's pray. God, would you move? Um, Move us to rejoice in the cross. Move us to be released from the power of sin because of the work on the cross. Would you move to, to cause us to rejoice in our salvation that you purchased for us on the cross? Would you move in this place and call people from death into life, those who don't know you, to be your, their, like, that you would call them, Lord, to come and receive you as their Savior this morning? Would you do that work in and amongst us? Would you let, let us be a people who, as we worship, may our, may our praise be transformed and turned into revival? May the name of Jesus be exalted as the people of God come humbled before the cross. May our area be impacted for your glory. May our area be saved and redeemed and find hope. And may the, the chains of addiction and bondage and broken homes, may those be broken through the power of the cross. May you use us to that end. Would you do that sort of work here this morning? We ask it and hope it and can only see it come true in Jesus' name.